0: Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 954. For this holiday week episode, we have a single segment for you, as David Lorela is joined by Jill Gearin, broadcaster for the Visalia Rawhide, low-A affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. David and Jill talk about things like broadcasting in the Arizona Fall League, interning in the Red Sox radio booth, and the occasional challenges of having to call a game using just your own eyes from the press box. Jill also shares what it was like to cover a team in Visalia that went from first to worst, as well as the fun promotions they get up to in cattle country.
1: Born in Los Angeles, went to school in Boston, spent a little time in Atlanta. So Visalia was a culture shock for me in terms of the the agriculture. But I was not like our Latin American players. They were legitimately terrified of this cow. We tried to do a team photo with the cow, and these guys were so far away from the cow, they were not in the picture frame, and I had to get them closer. So uh, (laughs) I'm not as bad as them, at least.
0: But before we get to Jill and David, I must remind you to check out the Fangraphs.com shop. If you are scrambling for a last-minute gift idea, consider a Fangraphs ad-free membership for the baseball fan in your life. Then you can send them over to your favorite baseball analytics site, where they can browse at blazing fast speeds. It is, of course, also the best way to help support us in doing what we do. Thank you. Enjoy the show.
2: Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorela. Happy holiday week. My guest is Jill Guerin, broadcaster for the Visalia Rawhide, the low affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Jill, welcome to Fangraphs Audio.
1: Thanks, David. Thanks for having me.
2: We just saw each other last month in Arizona, the Arizona Fall League game, where you had an opportunity to broadcast a few games I assume that was somewhat challenging, and it would be for any broadcaster, in that you had to learn about a number of players that you weren't that familiar with. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. There was really only two or three players that I had seen play before, so preparing for that was tough.
2: And preparation is is a huge part of your job. What is your process to make sure that you know the players that you're actually going to talk about during a broadcast?
1: A lot of it is just, for the Fall League in particular, the first thing I did was just check to see who were the big prospects, uh, which guys were there because they had an injury, which guy kind of proved themselves and then earned a spot uh, in the Fall League, because they're there for different reasons. Uh, To be honest with you, Mike Farron with uh, MLB, he (laughs) helped me a lot because he sent me his notes because he knew I was coming in for the last week, so he was very helpful. Yeah, Mike is the man, isn't he? He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been very fortunate to know him.
2: Yeah. And Mike, if you're listening to this, don't let that go to your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were, of course, Diamondbacks prospects, you know, there. Um, I know that I talked to Buddy Kennedy. Had you called games for for any of these guys in your few years with Visalia?
1: Mitchell Stumpo was the only one that I called with the Rawhide. He started with the Rawhide in low A this past year and then moved all the way up to Reno. He hit every single uh, team in our organization. Um, He's been spectacular to watch throughout his career, so I'm excited to see what he does.
2: Stumpo, I know, has quite the story behind him. He was one of the interview targets I had there in the fall league that I never quite caught up to. So, if Stompo is listening to this broadcast or this podcast, which I hope he is, hey, let's let's do this interview sometimes. I know that one of the players that you were interested in that you told me that you were watching in the Fall League was J.J. Bladet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did he intrigue you so much?
1: I think one of the things was one of my uh, partners for the radio for three of the five games was Lisa Pride, and she covers uh, the Marlins organization. So she was talking about J.J. a lot. And I'd heard so many positive things about him, but I'd also heard that he could be streaky and maybe struggle some ways, but you know he had power. So I was just interested to see how he did with the pressure on, because you can read so much about a player online or in newspapers and articles, but you don't really get a feel for who they are as a player until you see them in person.
2: Yeah, I did see Blade go deep in one of the the handful of games that I saw did you happen to be calling that game?
1: I was not calling that game, but I saw him make a nice play out in the in left field as well. And, and he had some power. I think he had a a few doubles that I saw, but that was it.
2: Yeah, I assume you did get to call uh, a few home runs, though, in the games that you did broadcast?
1: I did. There was one that I messed up badly. I do remember. I don't remember Ooh. who hit it, but I remember I messed it up.
2: <laughs> so Yeah, how, how did you mess it up?
1: <laughs> I lost sight of the ball. I completely lost sight of it. I and mean, when I lose sight... I usually use the outfielders to help me decide where the ball is and the outfielder missed the ball, too. He didn't know where it was. So I neither one of us knew where the ball was in the sky. And then all of a sudden I saw it land in the batter's eye over the center field wall. And I said, oh, home run. (laughs) So my, my my broadcasting style is usually pretty relaxed. So. What's nice about that is if I do mess up or blow a call, I usually am able to laugh it off or sound at least conversational about it.
2: Yeah. Was it the David Hamilton ball off the top of the wall by any chance?
1: Yes, that was it. I lost it. I lost in the sky. (laughs) No, I
2: do not blame you because I was at that game and everybody that I was with, I was with several uh, people, some, some Fangrass people, we all thought it was gone. Mm-hmm. Sit, sitting in the stands. It was, we were shocked when, hold it, wait, that ball is in play. What happened? So that was, a, yeah, that was a really crazy play.
1: It was tough. That's, I think that's one thing that people don't understand about broadcasting unless you've done it, or unless you've sit in the press boxes, your angle is awesome, but sometimes it's still not perfect. And you have all these tips and tricks of how to still be able to find the ball or see exactly what's going on, but sometimes you just can't do it and you have to kind of figure it out and still give the best play-by-play and best description as you can.
2: And I think it's pretty safe to say, Jill, that no broadcaster is going to be perfect for three, three and a half hours, regardless of the level. And on social media, every time that mistake is made, people are going to say, how did he or she possibly screw that up?
1: It's well a, that's well, I social can tell media you. Is cruel. <laughs> I can tell you how we mess it up. It's because you sitting at home have 20 different camera angles that this awesome director is gonna give to you and I just have my eyeballs. So that's how I mess it up.
2: <laughs> Everybody messes up. I will probably mess up several things on this podcast, which fortunately our producer Dylan is an ace and he's going to fix some of these things. <laughs> yeah, let's actually I was going to ask you late in our conversation, but let's jump to it now is you interned for Red Sox Radio before Mm -hmm. you became a minor league broadcaster. What is that process like? What does an intern do in a big league broadcast booth?
1: It was so much fun. I mean, especially I I got to work for the Red Sox, and that was my, my team growing up. That was the team I always rooted for. And I was lucky enough to do it during 2018 when they won the World Series. But for me, I... For half of the home games, I sat directly in between Joe Castiglione and Tim Neverett, who's now at the Dodgers, and I got to be there for their broadcast. I'd write them little notes, nuggets. If I knew Rafi Devers was going to have an eight-game hit streak, if he got on base, I would have a post-it note pre-written saying eight-game hit streak, Devers. And as soon as he got a hit, I'd hand it to either Joe or Tim, whoever was talking, and they'd be able to have that, just kind of an extra set, of hands, an extra person to pay attention so that way you don't have, I don't want to say you don't have to be as locked in because Tim and Joe are extremely locked in and very good broadcasters, but just someone else is there to help you out when needed because there's so many things you're focusing on in a broadcast. Another really awesome opportunity I had was to be in the clubhouse before and after games, uh, getting quotes from players, being a part of the scrum, and I think that was very valuable for myself and for a lot of other interns who get to have big league experience in the clubhouse that really does set you up for success.
2: And this year, of course, uh, there was no clubhouse access. How much more difficult did that make your job in Visalia?
1: It was tough. I had a very weird situation because not only do I broadcast, but I also took over the marketing department last year and the media relations. So I'm doing PR, marketing, and broadcasting so I was able to go into the clubhouse at some points. It was usually when players weren't in there. So early in the morning before they arrive, I would go in to give stat packs and notes to the coaching staff. I was also fortunate enough to be a covered individual. So I was able to be around players, but I had to be masked. I was getting tested twice a week. So it was I had an extremely rare Uh, experience this year because not many broadcasters were covered individuals so my experience I had a lot more access than the other broadcasters in my league but it was still different because I wasn't able to go into the clubhouse as often and grab them for interviews instead I would usually text someone and say, hey, can you have them meet me outside? Which in Visalia is tough because no one wants to come outside unless they have to because it's 100 degrees every day. So just kind of being creative and finding different ways to do it. I was lucky enough to still see them in person and not have to rely on Zoom like other people. And were you able to do road games live or were they remote? So lucky, luckily for me, the low a West League, the formerly the California League, it's very close, and Visalia's smack dab in the middle of California. So I wasn't allowed on the bus until about halfway through season, but I could drive myself to games. So that's what I ended up doing. I was able to go to every road game and broadcast in person, and I'm very, very thankful that I did not have to do a remote broadcast.
2: Yeah, I do not know the the league very well or I should say that uh while I know the teams, I don't know how close or far the towns and cities are. Did you have any commuter games where you would drive back to Visalia each night?
1: Yes, that's the only one that we have is Fresno. That's about 42 miles away, so it's it's really close. The farthest is probably like Elsinore with with traffic. It's maybe five hours, and the farthest north is Stockton, which is maybe about three and a half hours. So it was a pretty easy uh, way for me to travel, and I was very fortunate to be able to do so. My my biggest issue was the bus ride is a perfect time to get fun stories from players, get to know them, um, have them be used to me and just get comfortable with me because in the beginning of season, especially within low A, you have a pretty much a whole new team. I did not know a single person on our opening day roster and I want to be around them. So they get comfortable with me. They know who I am and not being on the bus affected that. Another thing was, again, I had all these other responsibilities and I was wait, not quote unquote, wasting three to five hours driving a week that I could be doing other work. So that was that was the biggest challenge for me.
2: And with the other responsibilities in mind, Jill, you had mentioned stat packs earlier, and you mentioned how you would hand information to Joe Castiglione and, and mm-hmm. Tim Nebert during Red Sox broadcasts. I think it's safe to say you didn't have anybody handing you notes during your oh, broadcast.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, I think the, the biggest help that I get is I have this. Young woman, Alexis Morin, she sits next to me. She's our game day stringer. And sometimes she'll she'll help me figure out who's coming in from the bullpen, um, who's warming up, if there is someone warming up. And she'll let me know, you know, if this is the 10th pitch of the at-bat. But that's really the the only help that I get.
2: (laughs) So you do have assistance, which is good because I've talked to a lot of broadcasters, some of whom do games solo and like it. Others say it is really challenging to do a three, three and a half hour game completely solo. You know, Vince Scully, there are only so many Vince Scullies for whom it's water off a duck's back when anything isn't perfect.
1: Right, I think for me, I like being solo. I think it's just what I've become accustomed to. But it's also I I need to practice being with a partner. I need to get better at that. And Alexis, she's not exactly my assistant. She really is just more so hired to be the game day stringer. But she sits in the booth with me, so she and we became friends. So she ended up helping me out when needed. But you know, I'm still doing the all three and a half hours by myself, and that was challenging this year. <laughs>
2: And circling back to another thing you said earlier, you mentioned needing to get to know all of the players at opening day. I took a look at how many players played for the Rawhide this year. It was a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: if If I'm remembering the numbers correctly, I really should write myself notes on some of these things. I think it was 40 plus pitchers and maybe 30 position players over the course of the year.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. When we had basically a whole new team starting August third after the draft, they took a few weeks to get the guys accustomed to, you know, Diamondbacks baseball. They were in Arizona, but then we had 18 roster moves in one day. It was Opening Day 2.0 for me. So that was that was pretty crazy. <laughs> and and how
2: can you possibly keep up with that constant influx of players? That probably adds hours of of work each day, especially when those changes happen.
1: Especially with at this level, because you don't have a whole lot to work with. These guys just got drafted. I could use their college stats, but that's different. You know, there's, I don't have, it's not like AAA where you have all these years of stats you can go back and look at with these guys. For example, Ryan Bliss, Tim Tawa, some bigger names. I had to just kind of sit there and call the game and, and analyze their game and try to get to know them a little bit better.
2: And you were calling games, you know, last year, of course, the 2020 season, there was no season because of COVID. Your first year in affiliated ball, you were with Visalia, and they won the Cal League Championship. This year's team went, was it 38 and 82, I believe? Yeah. (laughs) Just how, I don't know, different, for lack of a better word, how different were the two seasons in the broadcast booth?
1: It was tough. It was very tough. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to broadcast games when teams are winning. And the the rawhide team in 2019, they were just winning from the start. A 14 game win streak, first half and second half champs, made it all the way to the championship, broke a 41 year championship drought. It was so much fun, and the guys are always in a good mood when you have a team that had two 13 game losing streaks, two separate ones. They don't want to talk to you as much. They're not having as much fun. The coaching staff isn't having as much fun. I kind of almost became more like like a therapist, I feel like, this year, where I've ha- I have had coaches coming to me and saying, have you ever seen anything like this before? Players would come to me and say, I, I don't know what to do anymore. So I-, I feel like it became a little bit more of, a, of a, almost a sounding board for them this year. Yeah,
2: so what is more challenging, Jill, being a first-year broadcaster, or being the broadcaster of a team that loses most of their games?
1: Uh, I think the the latter. I think this past year was a lot more difficult on me. In 2019, I, again, first-year broadcaster, still figuring out what the heck I'm doing. And now this year, I felt more comfortable and knew what I was doing. And it was tough. It, it was tough to talk about this, especially because at this level, a lot of the people listening are other people in the Diamondbacks organization. And the par- the parents... Uh, friends, families, girlfriends of these players. And so you don't want to hate on their play. And you have to remember, these guys are young. I had anywhere from 18 to 25-year-olds on my team. So you don't want to just destroy these guys on air. So it it was difficult to figure out exactly how to navigate it. Now, I want to
2: touch on a couple of the 18-year-olds in a moment, but I did notice uh, a few of the pitchers in their young 20s Maybe 21, 22 years old. One of them went 0 and 10 this year with an eight something ERA. Another went 1 and 10. Uh, he actually won his last decision with an eight plus ERA. With your listening audience in mind, you know, as you said, it's a lot of friends and family. How do you approach? You know, talking about that, you you can't do a broadcast without mentioning numbers like
1: that. Right, and one thing that is true about this Rawhide team, it wasn't just the pitching, it wasn't just the hitting, it wasn't just the fielding, it was all really bad. So one nice thing about that is, I think one of the pitchers you're talking about is definitely Austin Pope. And he had two losses that should have been wins. One of them was in Stockton. Rawhide had an eight-run lead going into the eighth inning, and they blew it. And so at that point, you just kind of have to say, Austin deserved the win here, but his team couldn't pull it out. So I think I was able to navigate it by saying, yes, I have to give these stats, but then you put in good ones like, well, his strikeout to walk ratio has gotten better over the year. You try to find things that he's improved on. And you also say, it's also not on him. Look, the Rawhide have left. Ten guys in scoring position. So it's trying to give the full picture because it's, it's not my job to blame one person for a loss. It's to paint the whole picture for the audience.
2: And professional baseball is obviously not easy. Um, yeah. Looking at the roster, I saw that there was a young infielder from Taiwan who was 20 years old. His numbers were certainly not good, but he would have been dealing you know, with cultural challenges. Presumably... Uh, language issues as well. I don't know yeah. if you had an opportunity to get to know him.
1: Yeah. So that's um, S. P. Chen. His full name is Shangping Chen, but he prefers to go by S. P. And he was really awesome to get to know. Um, his English was pretty good. You could tell he'd been working on it, and he definitely had some cultural issues. One of the first times he was away from home, it was his first professional season, and he struggled. And the the level, the difficulty level, showed for him luckily with the cultural stuff for him he had a teammate named Lyle Lin who went to Arizona State University but Lyle was originally from Taiwan so until Lyle was called up to double A SP at least had someone to chat with um here and there but i think after Lyle left it got a little bit more difficult but one one good thing about the Diamondbacks is they have a lot of international players so SP wasn't the only one there feeling a little bit lost. Um, however, he was the only player from Taiwan at one point.
2: One of the players, Joe, that I saw on the roster, uh, who's from the Dominican, who actually turned 18 years old shortly before he was promoted from the complex league, I believe the name was Davison De Los Santos. Yeah. Uh, he put up some actually some pretty good numbers, especially for his age.
1: Yeah, he's he's big. <laughs> he does not look 18. He is a strong kid. You could tell he had a few of the other Latin players kind of take him under their wing and show him the ropes and show him how you're supposed to act as a professional baseball player. Because I think that's one thing that these guys, whether it's coming from high school, college, or the Latin American countries or other international countries they have to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to act here in this culture and this professional baseball culture? But you're right. Davison had some awesome numbers to begin with. He was a part of the crew that came on August 3rd and really turns it around for the Rawhide. They became a 500 team starting in August, which was refreshing to see. Um, and he was a solid third baseman. He was He became our starting third baseman for a majority of the year, for the rest of the year, I should say.
2: And putting on your scout hat, when you look at all of the players that you saw this year on the Visalia team, who stands out as, hey, this guy really has a chance to make it? Because I think a lot of listeners may realize that the average low-A roster is almost entirely players who are not going to make it. Right. I shouldn't say almost entirely. It would not be uncommon to have a low-A roster where nobody does more than get a cup of coffee in the big
1: leagues. Right. Right. One name is Brandon Fott. He was called up pretty quickly, but it was his first professional season this year. His last name is P-F-A-A-D-T. He has made it into the Diamondbacks' top prospects, and he made it all the way up to double-A this year, so he did really well. Um, one guy who I'm interested to continue to watch, his name is nephi Castillo. His first name is N-E-Y-F-Y. He didn't have a great batting average, not a great on, amb- base percentage and his fielding in the beginning was tough but I saw him improve so much both in the outfield and at first base and the kid has power he's only 20 years old and he had a 2020 season so he has speed and power
2: and Brandon Fott as it turns out is somebody that I actually spoke to earlier this season and featured him uh, at here at Fangraphs too so frankly jill you may have set that up for me i'm not sure if that <laughs> happened or if he had been promoted by then but if you did if you did thanks <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't i don't know if it was me he got promoted pretty quickly he did, he did really well <laughs> yeah it may
2: have been a different level we are running out of time uh, i want to touch briefly on a couple of other things As a minor league broadcaster, given all of your duties, you don't have an opportunity to follow uh, the big leagues as much as, as you would like, but you probably do need to follow the Diamondbacks as much as possible, given how that is the system that you are working in, right?
1: Right. Just kind of knowing the big news that's going on there, seeing what former Rawhide players have made it to the roster, and just kind of seeing how the big league moves how that trickles down all the way to low A. So I need to anticipate things.
2: And you may, of course, someday get an opportunity to move up and broadcast. Well, maybe even for the D-backs themselves, right? I'm I'm sure that's the goal.
1: Of course. Absolutely. The goal is to be a major league broadcaster.
2: You obviously hope to be a big league broadcaster someday. And I think that you would take accepted job for any of the 30 teams. But do you really have a dream job in the big leagues if and when that happens?
1: I mean, growing up a Red Sox fan, the dream would to be back at Fenway broadcasting uh, for the team. I've really loved working with the Diamondbacks organization. So I would be more than happy to be with them, too, because I already know the organization and the players. But, uh, you know, I, I can't be picky, but definitely my dream is to be the voice of a team. I like the idea of following a team heavily, getting to know them on the personal level, on and off the field. So I definitely want to be the voice of a team.
2: Yeah, be it radio or TV. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I have read, Jill, that you are uh, a big fan of uh, Don Urselo. So yes. maybe someday a Jill Guerin uh, Don Urselo pairing would uh, would be Perfect in San Diego. And the weather is great.
1: Exactly. Can't beat the weather. That'd be fun. He'd probably be the the third person that I would like fangirl over. So the third person? (laughs) Yeah. So and with the Red Sox, I fangirled over Pedro Martinez because he was my first crush. And then of course fangirled over Jessica Mendoza because I grew up watching her play softball.
2: Yeah. So you have some pretty good, some good taste there. Yes. In the minor leagues, something that does not really happen in the big leagues is uh, a lot of really crazy promotions. I remember back when Jonathan Papelbon was in the low minors for the Red Sox, that he, he told me about a cow milking contest that he was in that I actually um. think he may have won. What type of crazy promotions have you seen in, in Visalia?
1: Yeah, so we have a cow milking contest too. Um, We couldn't do it this past year, but in 2019, it was between the, it was a game against the Modesto Nuts, the affiliate of the Mariners. And we had four guys from the Nuts and four guys from the Rawhide go against each other to see who could get the most uh, milk. And the Rawhide won. So the Nuts had to uh, chug the milk afterwards. That was their, I guess, punishment. So that's always a fun promotion. One of my favorite ones is we have our our Copa, where we become our Latin alter egos, Los Toros de Visalia. And that's a whole week promotion where we just get to celebrate the Latin culture in baseball and specifically in Visalia.
2: So there was no cow milking contest this year?
1: Nope, just because of uh, social distancing rules, but we're going to get it back next year. I think we're going to do a whole week of like dairy themes because you know we're the rawhide our our mascots a bull we're in one of the biggest agriculture areas in the entire world so we we definitely go heavy on our agriculture promotions
2: Yeah. So with the uh, social distancing that basically you had to keep the cows safe, I think, in Visalia this year. (laughs) Yep,
1: exactly. Got to keep the cows safe.
2: (laughs) And uh, how would you do, Jill, in a cow milking contest? Because you Uh work in the agricultural area and I know that you have a lot of family up in New Hampshire. So yeah. Uh, have,
1: have, you, have you milked a cow? <laughs> I have not. Um, I'm definitely a city girl. Born in Los Angeles, went to school in Boston, spent a little time in Atlanta. So Visalia was a culture shock for me in terms of the, the agriculture. But I was not like our Latin American players. They were legitimately terrified of this cow. We tried to do a team photo with the cow, and these guys were so far away from the cow, they were not in the picture frame, and I had to get them closer. So uh, <laughs> I'm not as bad as them, at least. I'm not afraid of cows. Just cannot milk a cow.
2: I don't think that there is a better way to close than with, with that story, Jill. <laughs> uh, so I would like to thank you for coming on to Fangraphs Audio. And I would like to wish everybody uh, a happy holidays.
1: Absolutely. Happy holidays. Thank you, David. I appreciate it.
0: This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Jill Guerin for joining us, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the program, consider sharing it with someone who you think may also enjoy it. Don't forget to sign up for the Fangraphs newsletter. It is free to your inbox every weekday and a great way to keep up on everything we have going on at the site. We hope you have a wonderful and safe holiday. Be excellent to each other, and we'll talk to you next week.